Oh. Edgestone Properties is a leading home builder in southern New Hampshire. With over 33 years' experience, Edgestone offers highly valued residential homes, including first-time buyer, luxury move-up, and senior community opportunities. Edgestone also offers well-located rental apartments, including active adult communities. Visit us at edgestoneproperties.com or call us at 603-889-5208 to learn more. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's 603-889-5208. Next up, you'll be listening to United Way Community Connections with Mike Affelberg. United Way Community Connections. United Way Community Connections broadcasts every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on WSMN. In United Way Community Connections, you will be introduced to leaders from all of the great nonprofits in Greater Nashua. From caring for our children to our seniors. From helping our homeless pets to our at-risk vets. From learning the skills to get your GED to dealing with trauma and substance abuse. Community Connections is the place to learn with Mike Affelberg about what's going on. Learn how you can help and make a difference from the experts. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy the show, which is making a difference in Greater Nashua. Here's your host, Mike Affelberg. Well, good Monday morning, and welcome to the United Way Community Connections show. I'm your host, Mike Affelberg, and today is Monday, August 23rd, 2021. Well, I'm hoping everybody had a great weekend. Um, I had a pretty nice weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, we went out with some friends for dinner. We actually went over to their house, and uh, that was really nice. And Saturday, what did we do Saturday? I don't know. We kind of chilled and went went walking around, and I don't know what we did. Prepared ourselves for Hurricane Henri. I'm hoping that you all didn't do too much by way of preparing for this for this uh, particular um, hurricane, which ended up kind of like not being much of anything. But you know, I guess you never know. And I always feel bad for the weather forecasters because they, you know, they have. It's so hard to predict where, what direction these things are going to take and how strong they're going to be when they hit landfall and all of that stuff. And, of course, we're all armchair quarterbacks. I, I suspect that there's probably no more difficult job than forecasting the weather as far as you know getting it right. And uh, it reminded me a little bit of that movie – LA story from years and years ago. I'm wondering if anybody here remembers it. You might, you'll have to be like as old as me to remember LA story. But Steve Martin is a, a weather forecaster in Los Angeles, and uh, he goes on TV every single day, and he has his forecast, which is. 70 degrees and sunny, 70 degrees and sunny, 70 degrees and sunny every single day. And so he goes on vacation, right? He goes to Santa Barbara on vacation, and uh, he pre-records the weather. And (laughs) there's like a huge storm, like a monsoon for three days, and he's pre-recorded 70 degrees and sunny. And that, that of course, didn't happen. So anyway, it just reminded me a little bit of that. I'm not sure why, but... uh, uh, I know that they had some power outages and stuff down in uh, Rhode Island, so um, hopefully everybody down there is safe. But uh, up here in New Hampshire, I think we uh, we did pretty well. Um, but that said, it was still a pretty nice weekend, and I uh, hope everybody had a good one. Um, you are listening to the Community Connection Show. My name is Mike Affelberg. We are here each and every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m., Uh, broadcasting on WSMN 1590 AM and 95.3 FM. We are also live streaming on the internet 
at wsmn.live. I believe that's the website, wsmn.live. Um, and that on that website, you can also see various cams, webcams, live web, webcams, not just here, the live feed in the studio, but also I believe there's a webcam that looks right across the street at the uh, Performing Arts Center, which is now uh, being built as we speak um, across the street in Nashua on Main Street. Um, every single week I come and every single week is a little different. So a couple weeks ago, it was just a big old hole in the ground. A couple weeks before that, of course, there was destruction and demolition. Now there's actually, it looks like, um, a, uh, what looks like the ground floor has been, um, sort of poured and, I'm not sure if that's a stage, but there's something that looks like it might even be a stage being built. Um, and there's stuff coming out of the ground. And it's pretty incredible to see this development going on in real time. Whether you love the pack or hate the pack or just neutral on the pack. Uh, one thing I think we're all going to see is it's going to help to revitalize downtown Nashua in a way which is good for economic development. Um, and uh, good for the community in terms of, of arts and opportunities to get out and be sociable and do things that are interesting. So uh, a lot of debate about the pack, and some people think it was a big, big old waste of time, big old waste of money, and other people think it's the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm not ever going to get into that argument because it seems like that's, uh, that's like a no winner. But what I do think everybody would agree with is there's going to be stuff going on downtown Nashua that there was not before. And... Um, so performing arts center coming soon. And, uh, then let's see. Oh, I was saying also, where else are we live? We are also live on Facebook. So if you happen to log into the United way of greater Nashua's Facebook page, um, United way GN, you'll see us live there as well. And, um, you're welcome to leave a comment or a question. That's really the best place to do that. And, uh, we'll, we'll see it. We'll see that there. And if, uh, I get a chance to look at that. I'll, I'll uh, also um, answer or respond in kind. That's really the best way to communicate with us while the show is live. And uh, so, um, why are what is our purpose of our show? Our purpose of our show is to bring to the listening audience some information about resources and nonprofits in the community. We have a very robust. Network of nonprofits in Greater Nashua. Oh, hello, Barry Delorier. Good morning, Barry. Good to see you. Thank you for logging in and posting a morning, Michael comment. I appreciate that. Um, best to you and Jill. And um, as I'm not sure if Alex is back in school yet, but let me know if he is. Um, I'm excited to see how his school year goes. I think he's going to be a junior, maybe a senior. I don't know, Barry. Post a comment. Let me know. Um, the um, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, so we talk about nonprofits. There are hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits in Southern New Hampshire in our region, and there are some that are very large, some that are very small, some that do niche kind of boutiquey kind of things, some that are very general. Uh, the whole idea is to connect the community to all of these organizations, which are doing great work, trying to make um, the lives improve the lives of the people who have chosen to live and work in Greater Nashua. So. Every week we interview a couple different organizations, and by listening every week, you sort of develop that mental Rolodex, if you will, that the way of uh, knowing who's doing what. And so when you're sitting around the picnic table, or maybe we're uh, getting on towards fall, so we need to start talking about the holiday dinner table, um, and somebody says, you know, 
I have a friend or a family member or neighbor or whatever who has a specific need. Perhaps they're struggling with some issue in their lives. And you've heard about a nonprofit that deals with that specific thing. Well, you can say, did you know about organization XYZ? They might be able to help with that. And you can be a person who's helping in that way. And I think that's something we all want to do. It's very unlikely that very many of us are, I mean, there's, there, of course, I'm not an idiot. I, well, maybe I am an idiot, but there are jerks, right? People who just don't want to help, but there aren't very many of them. Most people want to help. I think that's kind of part of our basic instinct as a human being is to try and help each other. So if you have information you can pass along, that's a really great way of helping. And that'll feel good for you and feel good for them. Um, of course, I always say nobody can know everything. So definitely also refer people to 211, um, which is a United Way program. 211 is um, a referral resource that um, connects people to the community. And they know all of the nonprofits in New Hampshire. Just dial the phone number 211 from any 603 area code, dial 211 or to go to 211nh.org and you can get connected to more resources. The other reason I think people should listen to the show or like to listen to the show is that um, the. Um, um, there are a lot of people who like to give back in our community. They like to volunteer. Lord knows we've seen thousands of volunteers dedicating many, many thousands of hours throughout the last 18 months of the pandemic, but in general anyway. And people like to volunteer, but they also don't know where to volunteer. I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. Like, where do I go to help people um, give back? And this is a way you can learn about what are the organizations and what are their volunteer needs. Some have a lot of volunteer needs, others not so much. So this is a way to learn. And then also nonprofits tend to function on financial resources. So you can make a donation if something strikes your fancy and you really like them. Barry says, thank you, Michael, for all you do. You're welcome, Barry. I'm not sure what I do, but thank you. Um, Alex graduated last year. I totally forgot that. That doesn't seem possible to me that Alex is graduated. I'm sorry that uh, it's been so difficult um, with the pandemic for him to get started. Hopefully that'll happen soon in his chosen field. Um, wow, how can it be that Alex graduated last year? It just seems like yesterday that uh, you know he was just this little kid, but I guess it seems like yesterday that my daughter was this little kid, and by next week she might be a mom. So we're looking at... Uh, you know, I'm staring grandpahood right in the right in the eye, right in the face, and um, so congratulations to Alex way after the fact, and hopefully he gets started soon in his in his field. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, I was saying that uh, you know you might want to get involved because you can donate time, donate resources, and that's that's a good thing. So I did want to just talk for a moment about a friend of mine who. Um, passed away this this weekend actually last night and I want to speak for just a minute about my friend Brian I've known Brian for his whole well not his whole life but he was uh, he's been a fixture in our lives he and his family um, since our kids were very young and they swam together um, for the Southern New Hampshire Finns swim team and um, that's where we got to know Brian and his family and Brian is you know, about my age, and we were in the same industry for a while. I was in the printing and publishing business, and he was in the software business that that uh, um, supported the printing and publishing business. So we had that cross those paths that we crossed on, and um, 
Brian was always a scuba diver, and later when my wife Kirsten and I became scuba divers, we got a lot of good advice from Brian. Brian was a master diver, which means that he was very, very experienced and qualified to to uh, teach people and take groups diving. Um, and he dove all over the world and told me about that. And in particular, um, I was fascinated with the diving that he did in Belize a couple of years ago, and it's now um, definitely on my wife's bucket list and mine to, to do that. So I don't know, maybe a month ago, Brian developed a brain lesion and I don't know much about that, but, um, and, uh, was hospitalized and I believe had surgery and it didn't go well as guess as well as they had hoped. Um, and he uh, passed away last night. Brian was a Marine. He served in Vietnam and he was, um, uh, very proud of his service as a Marine um, and always spoke about that. And the thing that I'll remember about Brian the most is his gentle, he was a gentle and kind man, um, a big man who was gentle and kind and very, very smart and very well-spoken. But the thing that I think struck me the most about Brian and will, will remain with me as a lesson in life is um, that Brian had formulated, you know, strong opinions, political opinions, as we all many of us have. And what I found is that Brian and I disagreed on politically on virtually everything. And Brian was one of the very few people that I could sit down with and have a conversation about that. And we actually did that um, a couple of mine, a couple of times planfully. And we would pick a topic and say, let's have lunch and let's talk about something. One of those times we, we, we sat down, we talked about the Second Amendment and gun rights, and we were on very different sides of, the, of that issue for, for reasons that we really didn't understand each other's point of view, but we sat down and we talked about it, and it was always the agreement that we would talk about it and try and understand each other and not convince each other, but just try to understand each other. And... Um, it was just a remarkable thing to be able to do that in a, in a mindful and planful way with the person who you respect and, and are friends with. And I wish there was more of that in the world. I honestly don't know who I'm going to do that with now um, because I find that most of the people who um, both agree and or disagree with me want to do so in a, in a very um, sort of a dogmatic way. This is my, this is my way or the highway. This is why it is. And if you don't agree with me, you must be stupid. And if you do agree with me, you must be smart. And let's be honest. If you disagree with me, that doesn't mean you're stupid. And if you agree with me, that doesn't make you smart. But if you can sit down with me and have a conversation, and I can learn from that, and I can learn from your perspective, and you can learn from my perspective, then the world becomes just a little bit better of a place. Um, and Brian, I appreciate you doing that with me. And um, I, I will miss you, my friend. So Rest in peace, Brian, and um, my love and caring goes out to you and your family during this uh, very difficult time. Um, so thank you for listening to that. So you're listening to the Community Connection Show. My name is Mike Affelberg. We will be joined a little bit later on in the show with our with our first and only guest today because I did hear from one of our guests who was going to join us today last night late that she couldn't make it. And I don't know why that is. It happens sometimes. People's lives are complicated these days. But that gives me the time to talk a little bit about stuff going on in our community that I never normally have the time to talk about. So 
I'll start with last week. Last Tuesday was Over the Edge, our big United Way rappelling event where we get together and uh, jump off of the Brady Sullivan Tower. We don't really jump off the Brady Sullivan Tower. We, we, we sort of rappel off the Brady Sullivan Tower, but we... Um, it's it's very scary, and it's and it raised a lot of money, and it's very safe, but it's still very scary. And I did as I did along with about eighty other people. Um, we ended up raising about one hundred forty thousand dollars for the community, and that money goes to all of the different nonprofits that participated, not to United Way. Although some goes to United Way because we had our own team, um, and but most of it goes to organizations like Family Promise and Webster House and Marguerite's Place. And um, you know the Boy Scouts of America and whoever, whichever nonprofits decided to participate, and it was a great event. It was beautiful weather. Um, it was very safe, and uh, we're going to be doing it again next year. I did want to thank all of our sp- sponsors and partners who helped to make the event possible. We had you know Brady Sullivan Properties that owns the building. We couldn't do it without, without Arthur Sullivan and Shane Brady. So thank you guys so much for your support. We had Boston Billiards Club and Casino. Thank you to Kurt and Kurt Mathias and Sue Mathias um, and Gia Bonilla and Kevin McMahon for all of your support as your as our naming sponsors. We had our friends OptiLine. Um, uh, we had um, who were one of our rope sponsors along with United Healthcare was one of our rope sponsors. And um, um, we had a whole bunch of other sponsors participating as well. And there's more information on our website at unitedwaynashua.org about the event. But we're just really so appreciative for everybody coming out and having a good, safe, fun event that raised some money in a very unique way. So that was last week. Then I spent the remainder of my week just kind of, you know, sort of, I don't know, licking my wounds, getting, getting, back, getting back into the field because there's a lot of stuff associated with an event like that. This week, we're right back at it. Um, tomorrow and Wednesday, we have our, I think, fifth annual Community Urban Farming Day of Caring. And we partner with an organization that's, that's a fiscal agent of, agency of United Way called Grow Nashua to build urban farming spaces in our community. What is an urban farm? Well, it's not like a community garden. It's, you know, it's similar to a community garden in that, you, you know, you grow stuff in the dirt. It's different than a community garden in that an urban farm is really meant to be a space that actually uh, grows enough food to to really take make a dent in food sustainability, and in foods and 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 help people to really connect to healthy food resources that they might not otherwise afford and put in through their own labor through their own hands. Um, you know that food, grow it and 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 harvest it and eat it. So the project this year is to build an urban farm behind Lead Street Elementary School by Davidson Landing, which is a senior living facility um, that is um, owned and operated by Southern New Hampshire Services. And uh, the the beauty of this project this year is that for the very first time, we'll have an urban farm in our community, which is accessible, meaning accessible to all people, including people who have various disabilities. It'll have wide enough aisles that um, people who are in wheelchairs or with walkers can participate. The, the beds will be raised up to the point where people can actually reach them and without having to bend down too low. Um, so it's really been designed from end to end to be accessible in our community. And it's the first of its kind in Nashua. Um, so very excited about that project. If you want to come out and see it being built um, by our army of volunteers, 
coordinated by Grow Nashua. They'll be there tomorrow, pretty much the whole day, and Wednesday, pretty much the whole day, building this urban farming space for our community. Um, and we're very, very excited about that. We've also had a couple of drives going on recently that I wanted to mention um, because you can still donate to these um, even if you weren't at one of the drives. We had a baby shower drive, baby supplies. We have our, our community baby shower coming up in a couple, maybe a month and a half. Um, and the United Way Community Baby Shower is a great opportunity for young families to connect to resources and information as their, um, you know, their new families are founded, created, and grow. Um, so we've been collecting baby supplies, everything from you know diapers to strollers to um, high chairs. Um, all new items, please. Um, very important, especially with the pandemic, that the items are new. And and um, but if you um, donate something, there's a there's a uh, on our website unitedwaynashua.org under the events tab is a, is an inf- is information about our baby shower and there you can find out all the things we're looking for um, for that event. It's which is just a wonderful way to support young families in our community. So that went on. We also it's back to school season, right? So we all see all the advertising about going back to school. And uh, this year is, of course, no exception to that. Well, last year was an exception. It was a weird back-to-school year because what does that mean in the world of COVID um, and shutdowns? But this year is much more much more of a normal back-to-school season. And so we have a couple of drives that we've done to support our school supply pantry at United Way. We have a pantry at our offices at 20 Broad Street, which is available to all of the social workers, teachers, guidance counselors um, in our community. If they have a student who needs school supplies, uh, they know who their students are who are in need, um, then they can come and get them. And we all know a teacher who, I think it's almost universal that we know somebody who's a teacher who, who has a student that they've had to go to Staples or whatever to buy school supplies for, and, um, you know, are out of their own pocket. And we know that teachers aren't paid real well, but they all are very caring people and they like to help out their students. So the school supply pantry we launched last year during the pandemic to help support those teachers and students. And it's grown and grown and grown. Um, so we've been running a couple of school supply donation drives. And so if you want to donate to that, you can just drop something off at our office or if you look on our website, again, there's a list. You can even shop by Amazon and have it shipped directly to us. And we look for everything from backpacks and notebooks and pencils and crayons, protractors, to technology, including laptops and monitors and headsets and all of that stuff. So the school supply pantry is something we've been collecting and doing a lot for as well. And we've had volunteers for those drives. So our volunteers are you know, sort of the core of what we do. We're so proud of everything that they do. And that's been going on as well. So we have our, let's see, I mentioned our urban farming project. We have our school supply drive. We have our upcoming baby shower. And then last but not least, I did want to mention the United We Sleep event. So United We Sleep is an event that we've done for a couple of years, um, five years now, which is geared towards um, really raising awareness, raising some money, and raising awareness and understanding about some of the issues related to homelessness. Homelessness is an issue in our community, as it is in virtually every community in the United States. Um, Sometimes the issues are very complex. Sometimes homelessness happens without any warning. 
Um, there are some really great solutions out there, organizations doing fantastic work who just need to know for people to know more about them. And there are some complex solutions that are just working on getting implemented. So we've worked really hard at trying to create an event that is um, good at sharing information and raising awareness. This year, for the very first time, we've moved it into sort of an early winter, late fall timeframe. It used to be in September. And this year I said, well, you know, we're trying to mix it up a little bit. We're trying to make it, um, you know, more interesting for people. Um, and we're trying to broaden the base of people who do participate. And one of, the organ one of the groups we've tried to connect with for a number of years is young people, people who are sort of middle school and high school. And doing that in the, in the middle of September when kids are just coming back to school has proven to be just impossible. Um, teachers don't have the time to get their kids involved. Kids don't have the time. They're just getting their bearings. So we moved the event this year to the second week of November. It's going to be cold. It might snow. The people who've asked me about this so far, I've said, look, the unsheltered homeless individuals in our community don't get to choose their weather. So for one night in November, we can do the same. And if we have terrible weather, we have terrible weather. And if we have great weather, we have great weather. And if it rains, it rains. If it snows, it snows. And if it's 75 degrees and balmy, it can do that too in New England in November. It's going to be what it's going to be. Um, and we've had, you know, years past where it's rained and that's been fine. People have lived, um, to talk about it this year. We've moved it back and hopefully we'll be able to attract and, and get more people involved from our community in United. We sleep as we raise money to support some of those programs, um, that help break the cycle of homelessness and also create, you know, in my mind, a virtual army of people who are knowledgeable about the issues, the solutions, and how to um, you know how to uh, you know work at ending homelessness in our community. So that's coming up in November. You know, I could probably go on and on and on, and I, but I won't because it is time to take a break. I want to give our sponsors the opportunity to talk a little bit about what they do. Um, you know, the this radio show is brought to the air, brought to the air by a couple of really great sponsors who have been with us for a while now. Etchstone Properties is one of our community's premier builders, and they've been with us since day one. Franklin Savings Bank has been with us all year, and they have their um, branch up in Merrimack, and we're proud of their support. And then we have fully promoted and embroidered me, located in Bedford and Nashua, uh, creating screen printing and embroidery and promotional products for our community. So. Um, Going to give them a chance to talk a little bit about them, and then we will be back with our guest after the break. I'm Mike Affelberg, and this is the United Way Community Connection Show, and we will be back in just a quick moment. Commercial lending at our big bank is a process that begins with AD, that's application data, being sent off to HQ headquarters. Sounds like that could take a while. <laughs> it will. At Franklin Savings Bank, our commercial lending decisions are made locally, resulting in faster loan approvals. Drop into any of our Lakes Region or Southern New Hampshire branches, including Merrimack and Goffstown, to find out what we can do for you. Or visit fsbnh.bank. Franklin Savings Bank. Together, we are community. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Edgestone Properties is a leading home builder in Southern New Hampshire. With over 33 years experience, Edgestone offers highly valued 
residential homes, including first-time buyer, luxury move-up, and senior community opportunities. Edgestone also offers well-located rental apartments, including active adult communities. Visit us at edgestoneproperties.com or call us at 603-889-5208 to learn more. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's 603-889-5208. The experts in American Medical Response offer these safety steps to assure that a fun afternoon at the pool stays fun. Important actions to take at the pool are watch your children at all times. Know the basics of life-saving, including CPR. Learn how to swim and teach your child how to swim and educate them on the basic water safety tips. Keep children away from pool drains, pipes, and other openings to avoid entrapments. Check out more safety tips at amr.net slash safety. AMR Medics are here for you every hour of every day. Since 1930, United Way of Greater Nashua has been your trusted partner to fight for the health, education, and financial stability of every person in every community. When a low-income child needs access to dental care, or parents need quality after-school programs where their kids can learn and be safe, United Way is there. When a person with disabilities needs a supportive day program where they can thrive, or a family loses its home and needs a place to regain financial stability, United Way is there. When a homebound senior needs food and supportive social connections, or when it comes time to die with dignity, United Way is there. The programs supported by your United Way are the heart and soul of Greater Nashua. When you volunteer or donate to United Way, you lift up the community where you live and you work. As a highly regarded nonprofit with Charity Navigator and GuideStar, you can be sure that your donations will be used for the work of making Greater Nashua stronger, smarter, and safer. Learn more and connect with us at unitedwaynashua.org. Dry eyes, cataracts, glaucoma, digital eye strain, spots and floaters, macular degeneration, Emergency eye care, glasses, and contacts. The eye doctors at Focused Eye Care in Nashua are the first doctors you should see to bring all your eye care needs into focus. Focused Eye Care. Online at abettervision.com. See better. See the eye care professionals at Focused Eye Care. Well, good Monday morning. You are listening to the United Way Community Connection Show. I'm your host, Mike Affelberg. We are here each and every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. talking with you about some of the nonprofits and community organizations serving Greater Nashua. Um, The whole idea of the show is to connect you to the resources that are available in the community so that when that person who's your friend or neighbor or family member uh, happens to mention a need, um, something going on in their lives, and you know you want to be a helping person and connect them to resources, you'll have that information in your mental Rolodex so that you can share with them some some thoughts about where they might go to, to get help. And so we do that each and every week, and my thinking is that over the course of years and years and years of listening to the show, and we actually do have people who've listened to the show for years and years and years, then uh, you're going to just be that much more knowledgeable and in a great uh, opportunity, a great position to help about. So I'm joined today in the studio for the very first time, I think the very first time that I've had a neurosurgeon in the in the studio with me, an actual doctor. Um, and so we have Dr. Anna Terry from um, New England Neurological Associates, and they are part of St. Joseph's, affiliated with St. Joseph's Hospital. So Anna, welcome to our show today. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. You want to hold the microphone just a little closer or scoot right up to it. And um, I um, am excited to have you with us in the audience, in the in the in the booth today to talk a little bit about what you guys do, where you're located, how you're helping people. Just talk a little bit about the practice and that kind of thing. So so talk to us a little bit, Anna, about what you guys do and and uh, what people should know. So um, I'm a neurosurgeon, um, along with my partners, Dr. Cook, Dr. Miller, and Dr. T. Um, and being a neurosurgeon means we take care of a wide variety of conditions of the brain and the spine. So we do a little bit of everything. Um, the, uh, we serve the population kind of throughout the Merrimack Valley area, Massachusetts, and also up here in Nashua, we recently started an affiliation with St. Joseph's. Um, and we just take care of a wide variety of patients, whether um, degenerative spinal conditions probably being the most common thing that we see, but also trauma, head and spine trauma, um, oncology, so cancer, tumors in the, in the brain and in the spine, and um, a condition called hydrocephalus, um, which is a, a brain condition. Um, so we treat a wide variety of patients, ages, and conditions. Um, we also have partnerships with pain management physicians, physiatrists, physical therapists, neurologists, and pretty much the whole spectrum of care related to the human nervous system. Wow, that's a lot. And so you are located where in the community? So we see patients um, in Lowell and Lawrence. Uh, we recently started seeing some patients up here in, in Nashua at St. Joe's as well. Um, and so we have several locations for um, neurosurgeons to see patients, and we have uh, quite a few more for other specialties, as oh. I mentioned. Okay. So um, how long have you been doing this, Anna? Because this sounds like a real specialty that takes a long time to develop as a doctor. It does, yes. Um, so I've been in practice for about seven and a half years, um, and the way it works is that we go to medical school, we get an MD or, med or DO medical degree, um, and we then do what's called a residency, which is um, for most places, for, for most neurosurgeons, is a seven-year process. Wow. So seven years after medical school, you're kind of doing on-the-job training, learning to do surgeries, learning to take care of patients. And you do that for seven years, and then you go out in the world, and you um, perhaps pursue further training, or you get a, or you get a job. So um, I trained at, at Mass General, where I finished um, in about... Uh, so early in 2014, and I've been in practice ever since then. I was at George Washington University in D.C. for a couple of years, and I was at most recently at Duke for about five and a half years before coming back up to the Northeast. You, you're, you look very young to me. Did you start doing this when you were four? <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> no. no, I'm just kidding. I um, yeah, it's um, I'm glad I still yeah. look so young, but um, you know, it's uh, it's a long process. It, yeah. I think I yeah, it certainly out sounds that. like it. I think it was 11 years after uh, college before I really became what I, you know, at least started to become what I am today. So it's been a long road, but very much worth it. That sounds incredible. Absolutely. And um, so I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you about today, I'm sure our audience is interested in learning a little bit about, is um, how the pandemic, that seems to be part of the topic we always talk about. I have a lot of people that just they don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore. And I don't want to dwell on it, but I'm interested in how the pandemic has changed the way in which you, quote unquote, do business. Um, that That's, I think, fascinating. Sure, yeah. And this is a complicated question. So I think um, we've kind of been through different phases of this as neurosurgeons. Um, we are not Really, by and large, what I would consider frontline physicians. We're not mm -hmm. like emergency personnel or ICU physicians who have really borne the brunt of caring for these patients. Um, but we have been 
well, the the uh, the bans on elective surgery have affected us a lot. So elective sure, surgery absolutely. is um, I don't like the term elective because a lot of so-called elective surgeries are for more urgent conditions, things like cancer, um, terrible debilitating pain, and things that can wait. They're not life or death issues right now, but they aren't exactly a choice or an option for the patient. Yeah, so, I agree with you. I've heard this term yeah. thrown around. And it, I, I hate it almost as much as I hate the term essential worker. Right. Yeah. It's like you know, I don't know very many people who don't who think their work isn't essential. Like everybody who do, everybody who's working does it because you know they, they feel like they're performing a service is essential. And yeah. And they, this is a similar term, right? Elective doesn't yeah. mean it's just. Well, I wake up in the morning and want to have elective surgery. And it's not cosmetic surgery. Right. So it's necessary surgeries. And so it's affected our business um, and also the well-being of our patients who have had to put off needed care. And so we all want to try to do the right thing and follow the public health measures. But we also want to go and, you know, take care of people who need our care. So that's been very challenging. Thankfully, as vaccination rates in the community have increased, um, I don't think we're going to get to a point, at least in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, where we have to shut down elective right. surgery again and um, delay care or not be able to care for patients who otherwise might need us because the hospital is full. So thankfully, I think as as uh, more people are vaccinated, that outcome is just less and less likely. So you must have quite a backlog right now of people trying to get caught up. I did one about a year ago. So when yeah. I was... Um, in North Carolina a year ago, we had to shut down for six weeks. And then um, over the next two months after that, I had quite the backlog of people who really needed to, to mm-hmm. have surgery. So that yeah. happened here, too, and everywhere else. So yeah, absolutely. we don't want that to happen again. We'd like to be able to continue caring for our for our patients. And you're probably doing, I'd imagine, a lot of more sort of telemedicine type teleconsulting type services as well, I'd imagine. Um, as neurosurgeons, uh, by and large, we have not um, simply because okay. it's... Um, it's it's important, I think, to really see and perform a detailed neurologic examination on the patient, which is hard to do yeah. remotely. Um, but we have done a lot over the phone, um, and certainly our um, affiliated specialists um, who maybe depend a little bit less on the um, face-to-face or hands-on exam have done a lot of great work in telemedicine, and I hope it can continue. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of medical folks that you know this is one of the innovations that has been really a good thing is yeah. is is a, a doctor has the opportunity now to um, provide care to a lot more people um, you know through this room obviously it doesn't it's not a full replacement as you say but it but it's 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 helped yes it absolutely has helped and I think the trends were going to, um, that way and in some ways the pandemic really accelerated them um, so I think yeah. the challenge is how we can deliver good care and also there's a regulatory burdens as well. So for instance, I can't provide services to someone if I'm in Massachusetts and they're in New Hampshire, they have to be in the same state for some insurance companies to cover that visit. And so we have to kind of address the, you know, the logistics of that and um, figure out what works best for our patients going forward, I think. Right. So for somebody coming into the office and coming in for surgery, um, what can they expect nowadays that might have changed from a patient perspective? As you know, because sometimes there are a lot of people who I know who still haven't gone back into the doctor's office, even for a you know sort of a general physical. And I remember when I, a couple months ago I went for my my general physical, and I thought, well, what is it going to be like? Am I going to have to wear a mask? Am I going to have to get a, have a test? Are they going to take my temperature? What's going to happen? Yeah. So um, I think the most important thing to remember is the big picture. Um, it's important to get ne- necessary 
medical care. And um, I think we we should all remember that, you know, not to be scared of going to the doctor. It's very yeah. important to get your checkups. Um, all that said, yes, we will. Uh, you will have to wear a mask, so we will all be wearing masks, um, and patients are all required to wear masks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some places are still checking people's temperatures. There's not much data for this, um, but really mask, universal masking seems to be the best way that we can really prevent the spread. Mm. Um, the number one thing now is just go and get your vaccine, um, and you'll be protected from serious illness or hospitalization for the most part. And um, vaccinations, the bigot, the best weapon we have against this virus, masks, and all those other things are, you know, very important as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The um, it's funny what they mentioned the temperature checks. That was the all the rage, and I know we had. Um, I think I went through probably 300 digital thermometers that we had various nonprofits coming and getting when, when that was like the thing. And it was that along with masks, there was gloves, there was face shields, there was all, all you know, people were just grabbing it like what works. And it seems like the mask mm-hmm. and good hand hygiene is important too. And I think we all forget that easily as well. Absolutely. Yes. And I think, um, yeah, you know, you asked how it's changed my practice. Well, in some ways, not a lot because I'm always wearing a mask in the operating room and I'm always washing my hands all the time. Every You're, day, you, so We're just doing what you've been doing all <laughs> yes. along. Now we're, now we're scrubbing up too. Yes, absolutely. Perhaps not to that extent. But, yeah. Um, you know, for, for us as surgeons, it wasn't really a far-fetched idea to have to wear a mask everywhere and be washing our hands all, all day long. Yeah. Um, it really does work. So one question I wanted to ask you specifically is, okay, uh, there are a lot of us that watch a lot of um, doctor shows. Let's call them doctor shows on TV. And so we watch, um, my wife and I watch Grey's Anatomy, have for years and years. What drives you crazy about, about what's, what's wrong in what we're seeing? So I think that a lot of the doctor shows um, really over-dramatize things. Um, in reality, they're not that exciting. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, you know, neurosurgery, I'm sure that's true. Grey's Anatomy has some great neurosurgery yeah. um, on it, but our my day-to-day life is really just not that exciting. So it's it's, inter- it's good entertainment, though. Um, and, you know, right. if, if something like that ever, you know, if, if my life was really like that, I would probably never get any sleep and... Uh, always be freaked out about something but in reality it's really more so you're not seeing day-to-day. anything which is fundamentally flawed in the in the story other than it's just not how life actually is it depends the things that bother yeah. me are things like when people aren't wearing eye protection in the operating room okay or people aren't wearing masks when doing procedures and things like that which would not happen those are the things right. that kind of bother me but you know the outlandish things i had a one of my former partners at duke used to write for these shows and he would come up with these scenarios and he w- he was the medical consultant on these shows and so oh he would try to make it accurate but still exciting so that was kind of kind of cool <laughs> that's the challenge to make <laughs> yeah. it accurate yeah. like i think we all think each other's lives are more glamorous and exciting than they are let's uh, you know that's the grass is greener on the other side of the fence kind of a theory i suppose very true very true for a surgeon a lot of it is really just paperwork um, right. Believe it or not. So, <laughs> you know, that's funny. I had a, a friend on the show who um, was um, a military pilot, and he said also that, you know, as exciting as it is to watch Top Gun, and, you know, he says it's 80% paperwork and 20% flying. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. I've heard that as well. I've heard that about being a police officer and a firefighter as well, which seem like really high stress jobs to me. <laughs> yeah. And we have a lot of glamorous shows <laughs> yeah. about that, too. 
Right. Absolutely. Anna, so you're from southern New Hampshire? You're not living, are you, is this the community where you are or, or not? No, I actually live in um, Andover in Mass. Oh, but, okay. Um, and I grew up down south. I'm from Arkansas and I've moved around quite a bit. Um, but I did my training up here um, in Boston at Mass General. And so um, my husband and I just really enjoy New England and we, okay. we love living in New England. You know, we go to New Hampshire and Vermont on the weekends a lot and we just, this is just our favorite place to live. So yeah. we decided jointly to, to move back up here. I can totally relate to that. My wife and I also moved around a lot and I grew up in California and she grew up in Germany and we just mm-hmm. ended up here because we really like, well, I really like it. She really doesn't like it because <laughs> of the weather, but yeah. but we both have agreed that it's actually pretty darn nice here. It is really nice here. Um, a lot of people don't like the winters, but my myself, I don't like the hot, humid summer so even a day like today is it's like uh you know i want to move beyond this and get to the good weather but even hot and humid here it's not like in arkansas no, right not you know? at all not at all where in arkansas may i ask so i don't know if you know arkansas at all but i'm from the northwestern part of the state um in the ozark mountain area okay so and i'm from a town called fort smith um if you've seen the movie true grit you've ah. um, seen a movie about fort smith okay so um, it is basically right on the border with Oklahoma. Okay. Um, it's a good-sized town. Um, kind of right in the middle of nowhere, actually, but very beautiful place. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, no, my wife and I used to live in Texas, and mm-hmm. we went to Arkansas one year for vacation. Um to what's the town where all the hot springs hot springs yes and of course you know that we also tried to we also went to hope to see where hillary clinton was born right bill clinton bill clinton right (laughs) Right. and we found the diner which was his favorite diner and all of that so that was years and years and years years ago but no arkansas was nice we had a great time there yeah it's a nice state nice people um and uh beautiful mountains the ozarks are very beautiful very reminiscent of the white mountains here yeah um so yeah, great place to grow up, but you know, I moved around quite a bit, and uh, this is where I've decided to settle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, welcome. What advice would you give somebody who's maybe been sitting on the fence, um, has some of this elective surgery, as as we say, not necessarily, you know, just for fun and games like important stuff, but has maybe been sitting on the fence, nervous, scared, a little bit worried about the pandemic. What advice would you give to that person? So this is interesting because I just went through this with my mother who had a hip replacement recently. And so what I would say is, you know, and the, the most of the things we see are spinal conditions, you know, if you have a spine problem that's really been impacting your quality of life and your function to the point that you can't be physically active as you would want to be, then um, sometimes, you know, that, that, you know, that should prompt a discussion with a, with a physician or surgeon um, about ways that we can help. And I would say, um, don't delay. So uh, probably, you know, one of the most, one of the most dangerous things that we can do is be sedentary and not be active not be moving and so if you have a painful condition that's keeping you from exercising or walking or just being physically active then I would say it's time um, and again with all the precautions mm-hmm. I mentioned getting the vaccine wearing masks uh, we can keep you safe um, in the operating room in the hospital I'm not aware of any um, recent outbreaks in the hospitals um, and certainly we test everybody before surgery and make sure that they're safe and that we're safe. And maybe if they're still on the fence about that, just go get vaccinated yeah. and within, I guess, with, you know, if you get the Johnson Johnson vaccine, you'll be you know kind of good to go in two weeks. Right, you know? right. And I've had a lot of patients ask me, should I get vaccinated before surgery? Maybe they've planned mm. surgery and I always recommend to go ahead and do it um, yeah. just whenever you can. Yeah, well, you know, hospitals have always been sort of this kind of a place where you can get ill and, you know, maybe it's a staph infection or something like that. So if you can protect yourself a little bit in advance, that makes sense. 
Absolutely. And recently, I'm not sure about St. Joseph's, but many of the hospitals that I'm affiliated with, we have started testing all admissions again. Um, okay. we, previously, we were not. For a couple of months there, we were just testing people who um, were not vaccinated. But now with the Delta variant, you know, we yeah. know that it can, we can have these breakthrough cases. And so now, you know, you can be very confident that everyone coming into the hospital has been tested and we're using the appropriate precautions. Okay. So I wanted to ask you then a question about testing. You probably are a perfect person to ask about this. My 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 daughter is um, having her baby. She was getting induced on Monday, so we're very very close to becoming grandparents. And one of my friends who works for one of the hospitals just went through this, and they've been visiting. Um, and before they visit, every couple of weeks they get they got some of these like over the counter off the you know tests, quick tests from like the Rite Aid or CVS or something like that. And I heard I've, so I've heard mixed reviews on those. How accurate? How inaccurate? Um, have you heard anything about that? So, um, first of all, I'm not sure of the accuracy. I mean, no mm. test is 100% accurate, of course. Of course. Um, and I think that the over-the-counter at-home tests are, are a good tool that we have to stop the spread. So, yeah. kind of a quick and dirty tool to, to, to stop spread of the virus. However, it won't hold up if you need to kind of uh, do, you know, return to work or school type thing. Usually for that, it's something called a PCR test, which tests for like the number of viral copies. But I think it's a good way to just kind of keep you and your family safe and just, you know, for peace of mind. Um, It's, uh, in fact, I heard the city of New York is rolling out a program where everyone has access to in-home testing. Okay. So if you're having symptoms and you need to know, um, you want to know not to be around your family members or your friends, um, you can go and get an in-home test with quick results. And so I think it's just another, um, one of any number of tools we have. Another layer of protection. Right, exactly. Okay, good. Well, I'll probably get a couple of those just to have them for, you know, for the visitation purposes. You know, obviously we're super cautious. We don't know what level of immunity our, our grandson will have, you know, coming into the world. And that's yeah. a little It is. You know, it is a little scary, but, you know, the more um, compared to a year ago, we know so much more about sure. this virus. We're learning new, you know, new information all the time. And so I like to think of it as more information is better. Um, yeah. Not to be driven by fear or anxiety, but instead just understand that we have a lot to learn, but we still have, we have learned a lot to protect ourselves and others. And um, it's really pretty basic. It's yeah. get vaccinated, wear a mask, wash your hands, um, and stay home if you're sick, basically. Right, right. I, I think it's pretty straightforward like that, too. It's just been so hard because there's been so much um, people may, people I think have treated changing information and additional information as conflicting information. Right. That's not always the case, right? No, exactly. And that's as, as physicians, you know, that's not the way science works. Yeah. Um, science is always about looking for new information. Sometimes some of the new information is going to conflict with the old information and we have to change the way that we do things. Yeah, you That's st- just science. Absolutely. I used to work in quality assurance and we had something called the plan, do, check, act cycle. So you make a plan, you execute the plan, you check what happened, and based on what happened, you maybe modify the plan and you start all over again. But that modifying the plan doesn't mean that like the plan was bad. It exactly. just means you had to learn from it. That science kind of works the same way, right? Exactly. Yes. So, okay. So, Anna, uh, we only have a minute or two left. I wanted to make sure. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure that the listening audience knew about neurosurgery these days, coming into the doctor's office, um, um, anything like that? Well, so, yeah, I think um, we all have slightly different interests within neurosurgery. It is yeah. a specialty, but um, the thing that I'm really interested in is minimally invasive spine surgery. So, okay. you know, let's say in the old days you would have a you know, a large surgery with a large incision, and you would be out of work for a few weeks. And I'm interested in techniques that help 
preserve tissues, um, reduce the risks of complications like infections and wound healing problems and get you kind of back up on your feet quicker. Um, And so I really enjoy the part of my job where I kind of talk patients through that and identify good candidates for that. Um, And so... Um, again, we kind of perform the whole spectrum of, of things, but if, if this is something you're interested in, um, then definitely give us a call. Give me a call because uh, we can talk through diff- um, all kinds of different options for your surgery. It's amazing how surgical techniques have evolved, you know, to the thing. Like I have a friend, a friend, a friend, a cousin who just had um, a, a watchman put in for his heart. And, you know, my father had quadruple bypass surgery back in the 70s. And like, how has this whole, I mean, you know, he, he goes, he has the little outpatient thing. He goes home that mm-hmm. afternoon. It's, it's like yeah. going and getting a haircut, you know, yeah. only, only amazing, like really incredible. It is, it is. And hopefully we'll continue to uh, find new techniques to spare, you know, people the morbidity and the complications of having a large surgery and instead find ways that are less invasive. And that's my passion as well. Probably also helps with the things like the pain management where we've had so many issues the last couple of years with people becoming um, addicted to painkillers. If you have less painkillers, you're probably going to have less less of that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big, um, We obviously we want our patients to uh, have their pain controlled and feel comfortable, but um, you bring up a great point about the opioid problem. We definitely want to minimize our um, use of these medications yeah. as much as possible. And at the same time, have patients be, be comfortable. It's yeah. kind of a balancing act, but it it's is. making your life probably a little bit easier in that regard. Absolutely, absolutely. Anna, we're about done. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your perspective today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Dr. Anna Terry from New England Neurological, an affiliation with St. Joseph's Hospital and other hospitals specializing in neurosurgery. Um, If you have any any questions, you can always reach out to us at the Community Connection Show or go look at them online at New England Neurological. Just Google it. Until next week, we will be back a week from today on next Monday with a couple more great interviews bringing folks from the community right into your ears to talk about what they're doing, how they're making a difference, and how they're making Greater Nashua a place just stronger, smarter, safer, healthier, and happier for all of us who choose to live and work here. Until next week, please remember to be kind to one another because great things really do happen when we live united. WSMN 1590, WSMN 95.3 FM, Nashua. Listen, watch, and stream.